All right. So as it was teased earlier, we asked for the scoop and we got it. We have the one and only Jim Veltman on, general manager for the New York Riptide in the NLL. Big week in the NLL. Nobody knows yet. If you're living under a rock, there's a draft happening this weekend. So we're having different teams through. Jim, want to know how your night's going so far? Uh, really well, but like you said, it's uh, it's a busy week. I mean, uh, we're always texting back and forth with our group, and um, you know, there's lots to text about. And uh, this Saturday can't happen soon enough. <laughs> well, we wanted to have you on. Obviously, we talked just before we jumped on, and it's been a theme with everyone we've had on so far about growing the NLL, getting more eyes on it, talking about the game, and just getting it out there. So, for you, we want to give a little background of who you are and what got you to where you are today. Obviously, you're a decorated player within the NLL. You were a captain of the Toronto Rocket team I used to watch when I was younger. Um, so give a little background of yourself. Let everybody know who Jim Veltman is and what got you to oh. the position you are with the Sorry, can you repeat that last part? Because you froze on me. No problem. Just uh, give a little background of what got you to where you are through your career and now to the general manager of the Riptide. Well, as most people know, you know, I played for Buffalo for five years uh, before moving on. Uh, I took a year off to do some um, humanitarian work in Africa for a year. So I missed a season. And then when I got back, I was part of the uh, expansion team, Ontario Raiders in Hamilton. And then I played uh, 10 years in uh, Toronto. And what better place to play? I mean, I was with uh, family and friends. I had a young family, too, at the time. So it was kind of nice. My kids could watch me play as well. And I lived in Toronto at the time in the beach area. So that was a lot of fun. Those years were great. Uh, and then following that, um, you know, I, I went into coaching. I was assistant coach with The Rock for a few games. Uh, we were fired. I was uh, working with Glenn Clark. And then um, after that, I decided to do some work with the uh, MSL, with the major series lacrosse and cut my coaching um, kind of teeth that way and, and get involved that way. So, and that's something you need to do if you want to be a coach. And then uh, Glenn Clark and myself are good friends. So obviously I followed his career. And when he um, was uh, interviewing for the New England job, I was as well. And uh, we both ended up in New England. He was the head coach. I was his uh, defensive assistant coach for a couple of years. And then my family did another trip um, during lacrosse season. So we weren't around. Uh, and then after that, uh, I stopped for a year, but, uh, the guy we worked for was Rich Lisk and he was a general manager at the time of new England. And, um, he ended up taking over from, uh, the New York Riptide staff. Uh, he took over as the executive, uh, vice president. So, um, he gave me a call and he said, Hey, Jim, would you be involved in getting involved at a GM level? And I said, really? I said, I've never done that before, but I know Rich has. So. I was uh, working with Rich closely in New England. He was a general manager at the time. He moved up to vice president. And I guess maybe I jumped from, you know, not doing the head coaching job right into a GM position. But I knew I had Rich as support. And when he said that Dan Lattisur was going to be involved as a head coach, then it became a no-brainer for me. So I got to ask then, obviously, you go from coaching to being a general manager. For you, what is I guess better for your your suited skill set. You obviously you're the GM right now, but do you like being able to interact with the players and obviously the flow of the game when you're on the bench? You're more involved in it than when you're I guess upstairs bringing in players and obviously trying to get a good mix together for the coaching staff that's on the the field. I'm wondering for you, 
what is the best part of each job and for you what gets your juices going more well the assistant coach i really enjoyed that but i'm not gonna lie um once i retired i couldn't replace that on the floor playing feeling um and the best maybe i could do is become a coach and um you're still not on the floor but at least you're involved in the game and in the excitement of the game so i enjoyed that for the few years that i did it um but now at the general manager level i mean you know i haven't actually had gone through a season because i was hired just um just before the pandemic or just after the pandemic so that didn't happen for me um but I'll have to say that I enjoy the vision part of a team and how to build it. Uh, thinking about all the positions, thinking about who's playing where, thinking about salaries and, and you know, having to work within a cap system um, is really been enjoyable for me. I really enjoy that building part. Uh, you can't you can have input as an assistant coach, but you weren't really the main guy who was yeah. Yeah. kind of coordinating everything. Um, I'm not going to admit that I'm the main guy now necessarily. We make collective decisions, but it's nice to know that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm really heavily involved in those decisions and trying to coordinate those decisions. So that's the part I really enjoy about the GM so far. Jim, can you speak to the, uh, what it's like being a GM currently, you know, I guess, but in the work from home era of this, like what, what were you doing during the day to kind of, you know, stay up to date with the players? Are you messaging players, watching old tapes, you know, going crazy, just writing down lineups on papers and then, you know, throwing those out because you didn't like it. What did a typical day look like? Well, there was nothing going on. Well, it was, it was um, I mean, I still have my own job. I'm a teacher as well. Yeah. So I do that. But of course, you know, every spare moment, I love the game and I uh, involve myself in lacrosse. And, you know, the process was similar to what Rich, I guess, went through. He kind of evaluated what he had. And I did the same thing. I, I just watched old game film. I uh, took a look at our team, uh, you know, wrote down the things that I liked, uh, wrote down the things that I didn't like. And then you start from there and you start building. Um, like I said earlier, like it, it's a collective thing. So I had Dan Lattisur. And then once we had Dan on board, it was about, okay, well, who's going to be our assistant coaches? Uh, that was the next um, thing to do. And we went through a big interview process and Part of it is involving Dan, right? Because when you're a head coach, you really want to trust the people around you. And you really have to trust those people down at the offensive end and the defensive end of the bench. So that was really important. So that we went through that process of, okay, what are we looking for? Uh, Dan, what do you feel comfortable with? And then, you know, narrowing down, having short list of guys that we wanted to interview. So we interviewed for that position and that was kind of the start. We knew what kind of team we had. We looked at that with our group of assistant coaches now and head coach and Rich having been a GM before. Um, so, you know, the five of us kind of sat down and said, okay, what do we want in our team? What do we want it to look like? Who's out there? Um, how can you build a team? Uh, one in 12 is unacceptable in any league. Um, yep. And me, you know, I have a bit of a winning tradition in the Toronto rock era and the Buffalo era that I played in. So, you know, one in 12 isn't acceptable. So we had to find a way of making it, making us competitive again. And how do you do that? Yeah, one way is the draft. And, you know, we were very fortunate to draft a generational player in Jeff Teat last year. Um, but beyond that, we also looked at unrestricted free agent and we picked up Callum Crawford last year, which really helped, really helped us. I mean, not just because Callum's a good player, but now you can attract other players because you have 
a Jeff Teat because you have a Callum Crawford. So to change that culture uh, was very important to us as well. Jim, I want to ask you, obviously, you look at the New York Riptide, and we just talked about the, the season last year, 1-12, uh, and 12, not great. For you, you talked about vision. So when you look at this team, what is Jim's vision of this team? What is it going to look like? And not just the, the vision, but what is a, a Jim Veltman team? What does it embody? Well, first, you know, first for me is character. What kind of character are you bringing to our team and to our group? Um, you know, Rich has this saying that we want, we want character, not characters. Um, so, and that's really important to us. I mean, you know, if you have a winning attitude, we feel like we have coaches that can teach you uh, how to win. Um, and we're used to winning. So we want to bring that attitude to our players. We don't want people just to come to New York and New York to be kind of a game that you check off on the schedule as a, a free two points. Uh, we want to be competitive. We want to be aggressive on defense. We want to be fast out of our end. And we want to be calculated on offense and play the game smart. Um, when I played in Toronto, uh, Buffalo was kind of a different team. We were very talented in Buffalo. And you could, you could argue that just about anybody could coach that team. And we had so much talent that we would win games within 10 minutes of a 60-minute game. We were that good. But in Toronto, I really feel like we didn't have always the best player. I know we had the Colin Doyles of the world and Kim Squire and so on and Chris Gill and Dan Stroop. But again, I wouldn't say we had people that were finishing in the top three in scoring. We didn't yeah. have the Gate Brothers. We didn't have John Tavares. We didn't have John Grant Jr. So now we have to figure out the smart ways of winning games. And for me, that's more important than just having the best players around you. I think you have to be really smart in how you play this game. And when you are and you don't take huge risks, then I think you can be successful. Well, Jeff goes a long way in adding to what you guys are going to try to build, obviously. Um, you know, when you talk about changing a culture, when you bring in a player like that, that instantly shifts the culture. You know, you look at, uh, we'll use the NHL as an example, Austin Matthews, Toronto, Connor McDavid to Edmonton. Those players shift the way those teams are viewed and how players want to go there and play with those players. And now I know we had the pandemic and everything kind of shortened things up and, you know, it didn't allow for last season to go the way that, we all wanted it to, you know, with the Thunderbirds coming back out and, you know, you know, wreaking havoc, really, and the Riptide maybe getting back on a better foot with Jeff Teed out there. But this will happen this year. Um, for you guys, how are you getting prepared, I guess, for the draft? And what holes are you guys looking to address here? Obviously, like you touched on, the 1-12 and needs to improve, not only through the draft for someone immediately to help the team, but down the line as well. So, what are you guys looking to get, obviously? And I know you got your finger on the pulse of it. So there's got to be something you guys are looking at right now saying, this is areas where we need to upgrade a little bit now and then in the future. Well, we, you know, we feel like our offense is pretty much set. I mean, when you look at our right side, we have Callum Crawford, Tyson Gibson. We picked up Connor Kernan, who we're happy about. We have Jake Fox over there, Travis Longboat. So, you know, you look at positions, right? You look at, okay, righty offense. Are we good at the righty offense position? We feel we're pretty deep there. Uh, like you said earlier, adding a Jeff T to our lefty offense, that was huge. Uh, we were disappointed to hear about Dan Lomas's injury during the MSL season. He uh, tore his Achilles tendon. Uh, so he's recuperating from that. But if you talk to him, uh, he's such a positive guy that he really wants to come back as quick as possible. We're not going to rush it, obviously. 
but uh, he's very motivated to get back on the floor as soon as possible because he was having a good year uh, the year that we went one and 12. Um, and then we've added Ty Thompson, Larson Sundown, uh, Leroy Halftown. We have Derek Downs, Kieran McCardo. We have a few lefty options that we really like on lefty offense. So we feel pretty confident in those positions. Um, lefty defense, we feel fairly confident as well. We have our leader, Dan McCray, on that side of the floor in left defense. Uh, we picked up Leo Sturis uh, last year in a trade. Uh, we also picked up um, Scott Dominey for some speed. We also got some people coming back uh, as well. So we're happy with that side. And then the righty defense, we have some veteran guys coming back. Uh, we feel like we have to maybe improve a little bit more in that area as far as raw talent to defensive players. We are very happy to pick up Damon Edwards as an unrestricted free agent. So we feel like we've addressed that a little bit. Uh, and our goaltending, we're young. I mean, we have uh, Goa Abrams in net. Yeah, he's played a total of five or six games in the NLL. And Steve Orleman, who we think is an up-and-coming goaltender, hasn't played a minute yet in the NLL. So it's a little bit of a risk there. Um, but this league, you know, they're not giving away number one goalies. That's just the way it is. Nobody's giving you talent. That's, uh, that's something you have to try to trade for. And we maybe didn't have the assets to go after people like that. Um, so we're sort of in a position where maybe some goaltending, maybe uh, on defense, we could shore up a few things. Um, we're looking at that, but we feel good going into camp. You have to understand that we have already had a draft. We've had two unrestricted free agency seasons, uh, two street free agency seasons. So we're picking up and accumulating a lot of players. Um, our training camp now is going to be close to 40 players, which is quite a few. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, a team like ours, we have lots of decisions to make because, like we said earlier, 1-12 is unacceptable. Yeah. But a team like Saskatchewan, who pretty much has a roster set and only needs, you know, to make changes on two or three positions, um, you know, their training camp is probably not going to be as much. But they are accumulating players through draft. Yeah. And you have to, you know, invite your draft picks. That's only courteous. And the right thing to do is to bring those guys to camp. Um, but we have these fifth-year situations as well where you have players in a fifth-year position where they might go back to school. So some of our picks this year might even be those players thinking ahead to next year that they're going to be joining us next year. Um, and then you look at some of our veteran players who may be moving on, and we might have some of those holes to fill, and we'll fill them with those fifth-year players. So when it comes down to it, obviously we're talking about training camp now. So you have the young players there. Um, just per se, someone comes in, we'll just use Jeff Teed as an example. Obviously he's going to blow the doors off no matter what. We'll use his name just as value. Um, comes in, blows the doors off. You like him. Uh, do you instantly go down and talk to the coach and see if you're in cohorts on that and say, hey, this guy's got to be on the team? Um, or does the coach come to you and say, hey, I like this guy, this guy, this guy. How do we make this work? Yeah, we're, we're going to be evaluating. Um, you know, through training camp, we're trying to give guys obviously practice. But beyond practice, every we have four training camp weekends, and yep. every weekend we have a game scheduled. Uh, the first weekend is going to be intra-squad um, because we have so many guys. So we're going to have a, you know, a couple of teams uh, made up of all, all those guys that we've accumulated, and uh, we're going to do intra-squad games. Because I believe that, yeah, you can practice, but sometimes people need to show what they can do in a game. And I think it's only fair if we're going to make cuts after that first weekend that guys actually had a chance to play the game and show us what they can do. 
Uh, and then the next three weekends, we have exhibition games uh, scheduled after our practices on every one of those weekends. So after each weekend, we sit down as a group and we go through our list and we say, okay, who do we like? Why do we like them? Uh, do they fill a need that we want? I mean, are they a stay-at-home defense of guy or are they a liability on defense, but they can transition the ball well? Like what are some of their strengths and some of their weaknesses? And we're going to do that for every player um, to the point where we feel it's our responsibility that if we're going to cut somebody, you got to let them know why. I don't think it's just enough to say, you know, a phone call and say, yeah, you just didn't make the cut and then hang up. I think it's worth a conversation where you got to give feedback on what people can work on. And then you talk about their strengths and some of their weaknesses. And then they go away, I think, um, having felt that you really did watch them and you really did give them proper feedback so that they can grow their own game. And I think that's important, whether they go to another team or whether they go to the all or whether they go back uh, to their summer teams, whatever it is, at least now you've given them something to work on. I think that's very important. No, it is usually Josh. I, again, I'm hogging all the questions here. Here, fire off. No, right? all good. Mine was kind of uh, going in a different direction. Um, obviously, the people listening to this are fans of the sport. You know, there might be a couple players, maybe some other GMs trying to get the inside, uh, some inside information. <laughs> but hopefully, we don't give too much away. Um, so, with the team, like you said, went one and twelve. So the fans were probably a little bit upset about that. I would think. Um, what can the fans look forward to? Not just you know, in the game, but in the arena as well. Are you going to change anything about the presentation of the way the game's presented? Are you going to do anything different for the fans this year? Give them a, a reason to be excited to be back in the arena? Are you able to speak on that a little bit? Uh, well, that's more, you know, Vice President Rich Lisk uh, department. I'm more on the GM side, but he does yep. share a few things. Um, we're going to be the main tenant at Massaw Coliseum. Mm -hmm. uh, so for our own players, we get to take over the main dressing room which is huge. I mean, obviously people know that the Islanders played there. Yep. They're moving out. I believe they're moving towards uh, Belmont uh, arena, but we're going to be staying there. So, and the arena has gone through a lot of renovations than the last time I played there when I was playing against the New York saints. So um, all the pictures that he sends, because we're not allowed to cross the border and I am in Canada and he's in the U S uh, he's in market, obviously right on long Island. Um, our mm -hmm. office isn't that far from, the arena itself. So just the things that he describes about the arenas and, and about the arena and the, the inside and the dressing room, the pictures that he sent, it's going to be really cool for our players. I think we, one of our mandates that our main owner, uh, representative Aaron Baker, Eric Baker, uh, what he wants for our team is to become the premier team in the league. Now those are heavy words and those are, you know, words that, okay, well, how are we going to live up to that? Um, and one thing that I think you can do is treat your own players very well. Uh, and then word will get around that New York's a good place to play. I think we have to establish again that culture, uh, not a country club culture so much, but a place where, you know what, players are leaving their homes for the weekend and they're coming into New York. Uh, we want to make sure that they're treated very well, uh, not just by the hotel that they're staying at, but also the arena we're in, uh, not just the arena we're in, but also the care they're getting from our training staff. We have Oren and Cohen who is on board. They're one of our sponsors, but they're our main doctors as well. So they'll get treatment. And that treatment is only, apparently it's only about a kilometer and a half down the road. So everything is in house. Everything's really close for us. The arena is only about, I 
I measured it, it's under 30 minutes from both airports on Long Island. So I think that's important to players. Uh, just the little things like that, we're gonna treat our players right. Um, well, this yeah, go a long way. Um, something I want to ask you, you just touched on it there. Um, has there been discussions for the NLL? I mean, obviously you, you would know a little bit about this, about border crossings and things like that. Obviously with COVID, there's a lot of the restrictions and, you know, I guess exemptions have to be made here, there and everywhere. Um, is the NLL now grouped in with those other teams have gotten exemptions? Um, you know, obviously with the rock and, you know, Halifax, Saskatchewan, Calgary, you name it. And then going over to the States for yourself, I'm wondering, are they in that exemption block? Do you guys get to travel back and forth and will that at all hinder the NLL season going forward? Yeah. I don't know how much I can speak to that only because I haven't been told one way or the other, as you know, the draft got shifted from a live draft um, to a virtual draft. So, you know, that's one indication that we know that the border going from Canada to the U S is still closed to Canadians. Uh, coming back, of course, we can come back from the States into Canada if you're double vaccinated and show that uh, that's no problem, but going the other way. So we got to wait for that actual, you know, governments to work that out. Um, I'm sure our league is working really hard to get that exemption. Um, it's really important to us, obviously. Uh, yep. Things are getting into crunch time because uh, you have to let your players know that, you know, it's really important to get vaccinated because if your players aren't vaccinated, now you're dealing with testing. Um, and is that testing good for the amount of time that you're there? Those kinds of things come into play. And also the quarantine process, as you know, most of our players have uh, other jobs. So to be quarantined, some jobs won't allow you to work with them if you have to quarantine, obviously. So that's not going to work very well. So there are a few things that we still have to iron out that I'm sure the league's working really hard at at the top level. No, for sure. And, you know, we look at those things and we hope that everything does go smoothly. Um, this season coming up for the Riptide, obviously, is going to be huge. Finally getting to see Jeff T get on the floor, uh, whatever players come through the draft this weekend. Um, for yourself, obviously, Jim, we look at this season coming up. It's going to be your first full season with the team without the COVID restrictions. It's going to be very hands-on. What are you most excited about? What is getting the juices flowing for this season? What can't you wait to see and be a part of? Well, to see, you know, it's it's one thing to put everything on paper or to make trades and to acquire people through unrestricted free agency or drafting or whatever, but it's another thing to actually see them gel on the floor, um, which is another part of our responsibility as coaches and management. Um, you know, we want to develop that culture. We want to bring players in. Uh, we want to do some team building kind of activities and those kinds of things go a long way. Uh, for our players anyways, who are flying in oftentimes from Ontario or BC or wherever, um, you know, it's really important to bond as much as possible because once you're on the floor, you want to make sure that, you know, when you look at that guy beside you, that everybody's willing to go through the wall for each other. Uh, that's a really important culture to establish. So those kinds of things I get excited about is all that intangible stuff. The tangible stuff, I don't know if you can control a whole lot of it, um, you know, people say, trust the process. Yeah. I think I'm in that camp. you got to trust the process. I mean, as long as we're putting the pieces on the floor and we're doing our work as far as uh, strategic planning and coaching and those kinds of things. And I believe in our coaches, in Jason Crosby, in Dan Latticer, in Pat Jones. I, I believe in those guys. Uh, just the last year, getting to know those guys, 
they're true professionals. So, you know, you just got to kind of give it over. And maybe that's one thing that I got to get used to, but uh, I'm willing to do that. And it is something I get excited about to see that product on the floor, yep. to see what the building's going to look like, how people are going to gravitate. And let's face it, people gravitate towards a winning team. Yep. Um, it's hard to gravitate towards losses. So we have to do our part to do that. And then that building will become electric. We got uh, our PA announcers coming back. We have um, that in-game uh, excitement of, you know, just events happening in the crowd and what's going to happen there. We have Riptide Beer now. I don't know if anybody knows that, but we have an actual brewing company on Long Island that has a New York Riptide Beer that they, they're brewing. Uh, we have a sandwich named after us at one of the delis. Um, little things like that go a long way. Um, and we're going to have players in market doing some of those kinds of PR stuff that you need to do within the community. Well, one thing I want to ask, um, you know, with a GM of any team, every GM seems to have a persona or a way that they're perceived from either other GMs or players amongst the league. So when players look at you, you know, when this is maybe not said and done, but when you're a little bit more established after the season, what do you want the vibe to be around Jim Veldman? What do you want people to say? Obviously, there's GMs like we talk about, maybe Lou Lamorello. Uh, he's a vault. You're not getting anything out of him. He's firm. What he says is what he says. Um, then you got guys like in Toronto, Kyle Dubas might be a little bit more softer and lenient and, you know, there for the players more to speak. Um, for you, what do you want people to remember Jim Veltman as, as the general manager? Uh, I want people to remember me as transparent, to be honest. Um, I like people to know information. I don't like to hide information, especially from players uh, or my coaching staff. I like the information to be there. And I like, I think it's my responsibility to give information and then it's people's responsibility to respond to that information, how they feel fit. Um, and I think that's fair. Um, so you're gonna get a lot of honesty out of me. Um, I wanna develop relationships. I'm new at this. I'm not gonna pretend I know everything. I'm gonna lean on Rich for a lot of things cause he's been a GM in this league and he's built those relationships. So even though I know the GMs and I know the names of guys because maybe I played against them or you know, and now they have those kind of roles. At the same time, you still got to develop relationships and you got to develop trust um, amongst people. I have trust amongst a few GMs just because I used to either play for them or play with them. Yep. Uh, Derek Keenan, you know, Glenn Clark, those kind of people. But I need to develop the trust of others as well. And I think that's on me. Um, and a lot of that is about trust and transparency in my mind. But I also want to be known as somebody, especially to my players, as welcoming input. I want to welcome input, but in the end, uh, myself, Dan Latticer, people in leadership positions, we have to make decisions. Uh, so we're willing to accept input, but in the end, we have to live by the decisions that we make and we want players to buy into decisions that we make. And I learned this from Les Bartley, who was one of the best at it, I think. Um, he welcomed input, but at the same time, uh, at the end of the day, he made the final decision. Okay, this is the way we're going to play. We can't receive input from five, six, seven different sources and think that we got one way to play. Yeah. Uh, he would take that input and then he would kind of massage it a little bit. Actually, sometimes he would convince you that you gave the input, but he really kind of steered you towards that input, if you know what I mean. So yeah, um, he was a master at that. And um, that's one thing I'm not necessarily going to pretend I'm less barley or anything, but I really learned a lot from him in terms of being 
transparent and communicating with our players as much as possible. Well, one fun thing that happened in the NHL was, uh, you know, you talk about having a few GMs that you trust and know already. Um, I want to know who's Jim Veltman's Kevin Lowe to Brian Burke. Obviously, the, the fun barn conversation, um, you know, with the stealing of, I think, Dustin Penner at the time. Uh, does Jim Veltman have a nemesis GM already or a nemesis team that he wants to make sure he gets one over on? A uh, little scoop right here. Right. <laughs> uh, a nemesis GM. I don't know. Like, cause, And maybe this is going to be, you know, one of those answers you're not going to like. But to me, whenever you make a deal or whatever, it's not about pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. I really think, again, it's that transparency. Oh, yeah. To me, there's always deals to be made that are win-win. I mean, you know, I need something, you need something. So let's kind of figure it out. Let's come to some sort of compromising middle where we both walk away like we, you know what? We did the best for our team. And to me, that's that's the kind of GM I want to be. Not necessarily the nemesis guy, the guy <laughs> that kind of, you know, uh, hey, uh, that GM doesn't like me because I traded so-and-so to him and the guy was hurt or whatever. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. I want to make sure that I'm the guy that can be trusted and trying to find win-win situations in, in any deal that I make. No, that's, 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 it's a great answer, to be honest with you. I mean, it's only in fun to ask that question because you see it other places. And you've seen it, of course, with also Pierre Dorian not wanting to trade with Florida and then they ended up getting the player they wanted anyways. Um, so I'll ask this one here. The NLL obviously is growing. You have the TSN deal coming in. Lots of different things percolating through the draft. We're trying to get the excitement going and building. We talked about it just before we jumped on about getting more eyeballs on it. Um, for you. What has been the biggest change since you've played until now of the NLL and how it's been more structured, more teams coming. And it seems like the ball is really rolling here. We talked to Nick Sakavich last week and he feels like this team is going to be, or this league is going to be up to about 30 teams in no time. He's hoping to add two teams a year. So that, that dream is becoming a reality. Obviously we got Texas coming in, Vegas coming in, Halifax came in, um, you know, more teams being added all the time. For you, what is the biggest change and what is the momentum and what does it mean to everyone who's been a part of the league for so long? Well, I think you touched on it last week. I actually listened to that interview with Nick and I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, you guys gave him some good questions and he came up with some good answers. And I remember one answer and to me that rang really true for me because I was part of an era that it always felt a little unstable. Do you know what I mean? Like there were certain markets that, you know, you're kind of going in and it just didn't look good in the crowd. And you weren't sure if that team was going to be around again. And even though we were expanding at the same time, we were retracting and it felt all the time that, I don't know, we were always on the cusp of something great. And then all of a sudden, Oh no, that market fell through. And I thought it was better than it was. I, I think one thing that's different in my view is, is the stability. Uh, I think, uh, the league has done a good job of bringing in uh, owners who are maybe some deep pockets and, and they're willing to lose for a little while until they can build something. And I think that's really important to give it some time. Um, you know, you guys know as much as I know that I think this is one of the best games uh, that entertainment value um, for a dollar for sure, because, you know, there's just so much excitement in the game and I, I think it sells itself, but you just got to allow some time for that to happen. So I, I think they've done a really good job, I think, of, of just evaluating different markets and different owners and who they're going to bring in. And it's just not, okay, that guy over there, he's got a lot of money. Let's just give him a team. 
I think they do their due diligence and I think it's really well done now. Uh, and I have confidence in it. I have confidence obviously in the Vegas group. I mean, look at the ownership group that they have. It's just amazing, right? Yeah. The Fort Worth that they brought in uh, with that family that they have there and the, the arena deals they have there. Those kinds of things are important. I think yeah. when I played again, you, you just weren't sure if that team was actually gonna be around or not for the next year. So now it just feels like there's more stability and there's, you know, and I think they're ready for growth. And I think it's an exciting time to be in lacrosse. I just want to move into this because I'm, uh, that's why I'm not asking too many questions and kind of learning on the fly here. I'm a lacrosse newbie. I've watched games here and there. And then our host here asked me to do this show with them. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. So I'm, I'm getting into it. And the last, you know, two, three, four weeks, I've just fallen in love with it, doing research on it, learning about all the teams, watching some highlights, watching some old games. As a, if this is my, let's say it's my first full season of lacrosse, what should I look for? Not just with the, your, uh, the New York team, but overall at the league, what would be one thing that I should really get excited for? I, I think just watch the speed of the game and, and try to understand uh, the talent that's in front of you. Like what, what these guys can do with that ball and stick in the time and space that they have inside a box lacrosse environment is unbelievable. It really is like I know I played with some talented players with John Tavares at Gates and so on and against them and some great goalies. And yeah, you did have talented players, but the amount of skill that these guys have today is unbelievable. Like it really is. is. And the amount of inches that they play with in terms of shots um, passing, um, I just marvel. Like I really do. And maybe it's because I understand the game. I know the nuances, but I think as a newbie, I think even you can appreciate, take a stick out one day and just go to a wall and try it yourself. And you'll understand that. Holy cow. These guys are pretty good. Like it's, it's pretty amazing what these guys can do. I know that NHL players can do some pretty amazing things too. Um, But in the lacrosse level, when you're talking about, you know, stick up here, stick mid range, stick down low behind the back. Like there's just so many more things you can do with a lacrosse ball than you can with a puck coming from, you know, the ice surface. That's where you got to come from all the time where lacrosse ball can come from just about anywhere behind your back, over your head, sidearm, underhand, like you name it, you're not sure where it's going to go. So just marvel at that. I think that's where you'll learn to appreciate how good these guys actually are. And you already sound like you're becoming a fan already, Josh, and that's great. But I think you'll become even more fan when you understand how good these guys are. Yeah, well, I'm gonna go to a lot of live games this year because I'm in Hamilton. So we got the I got the rock uh. movie three four minute drive down the road and i did go to a couple of rock games when they were in toronto and you played in both markets you played in hamilton and you played in downtown toronto can you speak to what the kind of the difference in atmosphere was was it a better atmosphere in hamilton was there a better one in toronto i don't know if you're allowed to speak to that or if you can i'd just love to hear from a someone who's done it their perspective on it Right. Well, uh, it was 1998 when we played in Hamilton. At, uh, yeah. Back then, it was called Cops Coliseum. Yep. Um, still call it, it that. <laughs> oh, okay. I still call it that. So that's where I played. And, and to be honest, I think the biggest crowd we might have had was six, 7,000. I think we averaged around four, four and a half. So it's hard to compare that to Maple Leaf Gardens in front of 14, 15,000 fans. It was, right. it was just electric where every seat was filled. And 
uh, everybody, it felt like, you know, everybody was on top of you at the gardens. Um, but I do have to say like Hamilton's kind of like that steel town mentality, right? Like they like hard workers. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when people watch the game of lacrosse and the amount of punishment and abuse that these guys actually take to score a goal, uh, you know, to pick up a loose ball against the boards, I think Hamilton people really appreciate that kind of hard work uh, mentality. Um, and Toronto as well. I mean, uh, but we had a lot of outsiders also come to Toronto, mm-hmm. right? Like yourself, um, people from Peterborough and Whitby and so on, where Hamilton it might be more of a core group. Like you might find that a lot of people are going to fall in love with it, just like they do the Ticats. Uh, yeah. They love their hardworking Ticats. And I think lacrosse is very similar to that. Yeah, that's the thing I've noticed about Hamilton, because obviously, you know, I, I get down to Toronto for games or, you know, TFC, Blue Jays, Maple Leafs when I can. Um, but here I've noticed that the crowds may be smaller, but they're louder because I get yeah. to a, I get to a Honey Badgers game. I get to a, a Ticats game. I go to a Bulldogs game. The crowds are smaller, but the people there, they want to be there. They they yeah. worked hard for that ticket. They want to see their team perform well. So I think that might actually help the team here because lacrosse just seems like that type of sport where if the fans are behind it and it's loud, the players are definitely going to pick up on that. And I, I'm excited for them to re- it'll be back here playing here. It's going to, I think it's going to be an awesome crowd live. Listen, I, I think, uh, right I think the price of, I think the price of the beer has something to do with that too, Josh. <laughs> I, I couldn't been to a couple tie cats games that definitely made me louder. So yeah <laughs> the liquid courage oh that's yeah. right listen i got a couple more questions for you right quick and then uh, we'll get this wrapped up for you tonight there um jim we asked nick sakavich about you know we talked about the field of dreams game for baseball the all-star games the lake louise stuff for you as a player when you played um what kind of event would you like to see the nll bring out as a special event like that like a 10-pole event um you know obviously you play the game but you're always like man, it would be so great if we did it this way, just once as a spectacle, this would be awesome. For you, what would that event kind of be and look like coming from your side of things? Well, for me, it has to do with the origins of the game, right? Coming from the Indigenous background. Uh, if we could do something on a field or uh, something just a little bit different, um, I don't know if you can bring boards to a field, yeah. um, you know, where it was played back when, you know, the indigenous people, when, when settlers first saw the game, I mean, they saw hundreds of people playing against each other. It was a, it was a way of settling disputes. It was a medicine game. It was played when someone was sick. It was, you know, two poles that you had to throw through, but the goals were like a kilometer apart. Now I'm not saying to that degree, but just to kind of that environment, trying to bring that back. Or maybe it's everybody has to use a wood stick. Uh, wouldn't that be kind of cool? I know everybody's gone to the plastic and the uh, aluminum and um, shafts and so on. But, you know, maybe it'd be cool to try to introduce wooden sticks again and see if players can do all their things that they do uh, with wooden sticks. I think that's kind of neat as well. So something to do with the origins of the game uh, yep. and, the, and the indigenous roots would be something I would uh, support for sure. Well, you I can maybe call the, the NLL Origins game, you know. Right. Perfect right there. I um, also, sorry, I also like the idea of putting the nets a kilometer apart. That would be great TV. <laughs> Just do it for the All-Star game. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be <yeah>. crazy. <laughs> Have a little fun with it. Well, the last one I got for you, Jim, before we let you go tonight, 
Obviously, we touched on it during the little tweet that we put out and so far through this episode. How did you get the nickname Scoop? I guess it was through. <laughs> it's funny because when I played in Buffalo, my nickname was Hoover uh, for the famous vacuum company uh, because I picked up so many ground balls on the carpet, I guess. Um, and then when I went to Toronto, they were coming up with nicknames for everybody. They had, you know, Colin Popeye Doyle, you had, you know, Pat King Coyle and Glenn, the Professor Clark, and um, you had, you know, Dan, the big dog, Lattisur. So somebody came up with Scoop, and I think it, you know, again, it comes back to that whole picking up ground balls and loose balls. I guess I was fairly decent at it, so um, that came up that way. But, yeah, I'd always get teased by players and stuff and say, you know, they have to – I have to buy them the first ice cream and that kind of thing. So um, I always said, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> well, before we let you go, I'd be remiss to ask for the draft this weekend. Do you guys have a narrow list of who you're looking for with the first picks for the Riptide? Um, is there, you know, set in stone or is it going to be like you hear from every draft for every league, the best player available is who you're going for. Or do you guys have a strict strategy of what you're doing with? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a bit of both, right? Like it's, um, we, we looked at our own team needs and uh, we've targeted players that we think will be there. We pick uh, 21st uh, and then our second pick, I believe is 34, 35. And then we don't pick till 65. So really that 21st and 35th pick are pretty important to us. Um, so we've done our own mock draft Obviously, you got to think about other teams' needs, who you think are going to be gone. There's a lot of strategy involved in that. Um, so, you know, we've got somebody targeted, but obviously we got, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, just in case uh, that player isn't available. Um, so that's kind of the way we operate. And uh, Sometimes it does become a best available. Yep. Uh, so we have also those players listed. Uh, just in case they are available at 21, we don't think they will be, but if they are, then we'll go with that list. But if not, then we'll go with uh, our needs first. Well, I look forward to this weekend, the NLL draft, obviously catch it on TSN streaming and make sure you watch everything to do with the NLL this season. I hope to see you if you do come with the team to Halifax uh, to play the Thunderbirds to meet you in person. Uh, if not, we definitely would love to have you back on during the season to see how the Riptide are doing and turning that season around from 1 to 12, uh, making it a whole lot better, maybe 12 and 1 to kick her off. No, I really appreciate your time. You guys are doing a great job, I have to say. Um, and I've always heard good things about Halifax. I actually played the World Championships there. Um, so, you know, it's a great city. But uh, what the Thunderbirds are doing, it's unreal right now. Yeah, it's a rocking build and it's a good time. So hopefully, Jim, we get you down here. But uh, everyone, that's Jim Veltman. He is the general manager of the New York Riptide. And this is Offside LAX where lacrosse comes to talk.